What's going on, everybody? And welcome into another edition of B-Shafe Daily, a post-trade deadline edition of the podcast as the Cardinals, they made some moves on Friday. Now, they probably weren't the moves that many of you were hoping for and certainly not the moves that I think any of us expected coming into this trade deadline. If you'd said, yeah, it's going to be J.A. Happ and John Lester, I think a lot of people would have been pretty confused. But that's what ends up happening today for the Cardinals. They acquire a couple of veteran left-handed starting pitchers to essentially make it so that Wade LeBlanc, 37-year-old Wade LeBlanc, is the second youngest of the Cardinals' projected starting rotation until Jack Flaherty, Miles Michaelis return, which may not be that far away. And that's why we kind of talked about in last night's episode predicting where the Cardinals might be heading on Friday, talked about that I wasn't expecting a whole lot in the way of starting pitching depth because I figured the Cardinals were just content to wait it out until they got two of their big-name starters back from the injured list. As it turns out, the Cardinals had a little more urgency than I expected on this front, which I applaud them for doing on the one hand. But on the other hand, you got to look at the players they acquired and determine whether they actually improved today or not. I think if they had only gone out and gotten J.A. Happ, who basically just had to change dugouts from the Minnesota visiting dugout at Bush Stadium because the Cardinals played the Twins on Friday night and got a win, by the way. We'll talk a little bit about the game in addition to the trade deadline conversation. But if 38-year-old J.A. Happ was the only move they made today, I would have been a little confused. And I don't know, maybe for you guys, the fact that they also went out and got John Lester doesn't change a whole lot. But at least for me, it's a sense of, okay, clearly this is what the kind of player they were going after, and they're just going to stockpile a couple of arms and hope it can pan out for the next couple of weeks, and then don't worry about the way it goes thereafter. Like if Jack Flaherty comes back, that's a good thing, not a bad thing. It's not a problem. It's not a complicating factor, as the Cardinals and John Mozeliak, he's used that phrase before, complicated, and fans don't love when they hear it. And in this case, I like that the Cardinals at least didn't say, well, what happens in mid-August if we, who cares? It doesn't matter. Like, try to improve, try to set yourself up better in the in the present day, in the interim, before you get the anticipated starters back. Because you, you don't, as we talked about, you may not have the two weeks to wait around. And, you know, the Cardinals have to win games right now. Like, they don't have till August 15th to say, okay, our, our real season can start now and then we can really kick it into high gear. No, I talked about that last night. I didn't think they had that luxury. And so I'm glad on, to that extent that they were able to go out and at least try to improve the roster in whatever ways they could. And apparently the best way they were able to accomplish that was J.A. Happ, who's got a 6.77 ERA, was just absolutely terrible in the month of July. And I feel a little bit bad for bringing all this up because he's had a good career and he's had good numbers in the past. And so maybe it is just a change of scenery situation that could benefit him. Like, keep drawing back to Wade LeBlanc. Nobody expected, with looking at his April numbers and the fact that he was DFA'd or released by the Orioles of all teams, nobody would have expected that Wade LeBlanc would come into St. Louis and do what he's done. He's been pretty solid tonight. Five and two-thirds innings, one earned run. 
got ripped off by not getting the win because the Cardinals didn't take the lead until the sixth inning, and it was Ryan Helsley who got the final out in the top of the sixth, and so Helsley gets the cheap win. But, hey, he came into a tough spot in the game with runners on first and third, got a big out, was rewarded for it. Wade LeBlanc was asked after the game, hey, do you mind? Do you care about that personal pitcher win stat? And he said, it doesn't mean a thing to me. Just glad we were able to get the win as a team. And I believe him. He's a guy who probably is riding high on the way his season has unfolded after uh, the rocky start off to which it got. And then he's come into St. Louis, joined the rotation, and has done nothing in his outings for the Cardinals to make the team think they, they should be considering replacing him in the rotation. Where the Cardinals are going to look toward replacing in the rotation is Johan Oviedo, who was optioned to AAA last week because the Cardinals had, or I should say earlier this week, because the Cardinals had those two off days. They knew Monday, they knew Thursday they weren't playing, and so they wouldn't need as many starters this week. And so on Monday night, they sent him to Memphis, where now he probably can remain for a little while. He's got some development left to do. I think it was hard to expect that to happen at the big league level. Remember, they rushed along his progress so much last year out of necessity because of COVID. He was a starter in AA the previous year in 2019 who wasn't successful in that role. He had an ERA over five. He was like in his age 21 season. He had a lot of growth to to have to, to let that play out. Didn't really get the chance to let it play out because the Cardinals, for one, he didn't have a minor league season in 2020. And Cardinals had him at the alternate site, and they said, we need you to start games for us last year. And he did, didn't get a win, and then comes in this year in his outings out of necessity once again due to injuries in the rotation and doesn't get a win. I think he's had 18 major league starts now without a victory. And has had some growing pains and is going to continue to go through some of that, but now he can do it at the minor league level. I think that's kind of where he belongs, where he fits a little bit better in the in the grander scheme of things for right now. And so the additions that the Cardinals made Friday will allow that to happen. Now, Jake Woodford's going to pitch on Saturday. He's going to get that start, and it may be his last start for a little while if everything else goes to plan, because you will then have John Lester joining the team on Sunday. You'll have J.A. Happ, who pitched a couple of days ago, and so he's not really available yet to be on regular turn. With the off day Monday, the Cardinals can then set up their rotation moving forward beyond that. I believe it'll be Adam Wainwright on Sunday, and so... The Cardinals can figure that out, what that looks like, slotting in the new veterans alongside KK and Wade LeBlanc in the upcoming week. But kind of a strange situation for Jake Woodford on Saturday because he's getting the ball without really any opportunity to earn himself another start, barring injuries that may come down the line. It doesn't really matter what he does on Saturday. He's probably heading back to Memphis or at least a role in the Cardinals' bullpen potentially for long relief, depending on how things go in this game and where the needs are for the Cardinals. Because now they may not need Jake Woodford to go back down to Memphis to bolster up the organizational starting depth. Because if you figure Flaherty and Michaelis return soon within the next few weeks, that makes seven starters now that are expected to be at the big league level. And so the depth of Woodford being able to be stretched out at Memphis may be not as important as it once was. We'll see the direction the Cardinals decide to go with that, but I, talking about Hap, I feel bad the way I frame the, the discussion by putting on Twitter a 9.22 ERA in the month of July. Opponents have an OPS of 1,011 against him. That's that's 10, 11. 
Only three hitters in Major League Baseball this season have had a better OPS than what hitters have done against J.A. Happ in the month of July. And that's Shohei Otani, Vladimir Guerrero, and Fernando Tatis. So just ridiculous how, how much trouble he's had over the last month was asked in a Zoom before the game today after he had joined the Cardinals and put on a St. Louis hoodie. Apparently going to wear number 34, even though that's John Lester's number. We'll see how that ends up shaking out. But J.A. Happ talking to the media was asked, you know, what of the struggles that you've had this season? And he said he really didn't have a great explanation for them. You know, it's been kind of a rough year, and especially of late, he's given up a ton of runs, a ton of hard hard contact, and just has not had a successful season. But he says he's confident in his abilities, thinks he's still going to be able to contribute to his new team and feels like this is an opportunity for him to turn the page from the struggles he's had earlier this season and start fresh. The Cardinals have to be hoping for that. They give up John Gant in this trade. People say John Gant's ERA was barely more than half in 2021 of what J.A. Happ has done. What gives there? Why would you make that deal? Gant pretty clearly was not going to work out as a starter. It just was not panning out at all for him. The walks continued to catch up. You didn't trust that he could go deep enough into games. It just wasn't working, and so they tried to put him back into that bullpen role that he had had success in previously in past seasons. And even there, it just didn't it just didn't feel like a great fit because he continued to walk batters. He had some okay outings, and I think ultimately could have spent the rest of the season in that role for the Cardinals and would have been okay. But you have to think about the Cardinals were looking ahead to say, first of all, they've got 40-man roster problems, and if you're picking up these rental pitchers, but you know both Happ and Lester, I think, will be, unless you want to re-sign them for next year, they'll be on to greener pastures in 2022, maybe retirement in some of their cases. And so you're able to kind of reshuffle the 40-man in that way because in the offseason, you've got a lot of guaranteed contracts, a lot of guys heading to free agency off the current roster like Carpenter, like Andrew Miller. Cardinals will have an opportunity to remake their roster over the winter, which part of a larger conversation it seems to be the only thing John Mozeliak is comfortable doing. They have not been comfortable wheeling and dealing in July, remaking their roster on the fly. It seems like Mozeliak has been an executive that prefers and almost maybe needs to have the the slower pace of the winter to make moves as they come around. The market moves quick in July, and John Lozalek has not ever been a GM or an executive that has moved quickly, in my opinion, with the markets. He doesn't like to set the markets. The Cardinals like to wait for things to develop. And over the winter, that has worked out to their benefit. They've made trades like the Arenado deal, like the Goldschmidt deal. They've made several moves in that time frame that have kind of set the team up for the way they envisioned it in the upcoming season. But when things go awry and the season is underway, they haven't been able to adjust on the fly. And the the moves that you see today are lower risk moves because you lose John Gant, you lose Lane Thomas. Those aren't really losses. Speaking of back to the conversation of the way things are going to look in the off season, John Gant's making 2.1 million this year. He was due another raise in arbitration in the off season. Cardinals weren't going to pay that. He was a non-tender candidate for sure once he was no longer an option in the rotation. He's not a setup man. He's not a closer. He'd be just a middle reliever making 3 to $4 million. That wasn't going to happen. And so 
instead of having that situation, they send him somewhere where he, you know, he's not on a winning team now in Minnesota, but they might put him in the rotation. They might give him an opportunity to show what he can do. And so maybe for the betterment of his career long term, it's another opportunity for him that he wasn't going to get with St. Louis the rest of the season. For their part, the Cardinals get a starter who's definitely had success in the past. They get another lefty, so that gives you a different look, which now they're kind of overloaded with three lefties in their current rotation. But nevertheless, Hap is not a guy that jumps off the page. Honestly, if you had said he was DFA'd and the Cardinals picked him up, I would have said, yeah, that makes sense because they're just looking for guys that are veterans that can potentially give you innings. And they had to give up John Gant to do it. They also had to give up 24-year-old Evan Sisk, a left-handed pitcher in double-A who had some decent numbers but probably was a non-prospect, not going to amount to much. And so the Cardinals send him to Minnesota along with Gant for Hap. They get a little bit of money back in the deal, so they're not paying Hap's full contract. I don't think it was all that much to begin with. It's a little bit strange. And if that, like I said, if that were the only deal they made, you'd be like, wow, that... Just from an optics standpoint, that wouldn't look very good. But they get John Lester, too. And while Lester hasn't been all that much better in 2021, 5.21 ERA, you know, has had his struggles, hasn't gone very deep, averaging fewer than five innings per outing. He's got a pedigree, and he's another guy who's done it before. And the Cardinals have seen that up close and personal, dominated the Cardinals in the 2013 World Series, has had success against St. Louis during his tenure with the Cubs from 2015 to 2020. This year with the Nationals has not been quite the same. ERA over five, as I mentioned. But all you give up is Lane Thomas, and that's another guy that was potentially a non-tender or a DFA candidate this offseason. I was on the Lane train to begin the 2021 season. Back in spring, I thought he was a guy that had a chance to assert himself in this outfield mix. Thomas ultimately had chance after chance earlier in this season. First of all, he was bad in spring. He still got opportunities early in the regular season because of injuries to O'Neill and Bader. They had no other choice, and they tried. They tried to find other choices like Scotty Hurst. I mean, they were digging pretty deep down the well trying to find some options. But when Lane Thomas played, he didn't look right. I don't think you can use COVID as an excuse anymore. I was trumping that up in the offseason, the fact that he had COVID Cardinals said he was very impacted by it last year. Totally understood it. Gave him a pass. Defensively, there were lapses in in, in April and May whenever he was playing, whatever month that was. I believe that was all the way back in April. Didn't do anything at the plate. Finishes as a Cardinal in 2021 with a 104 batting average. No power. He just didn't put it together, and it was time. And so the fact that you're able to get something of substance for him, even though it's a rental, even though it's a guy who struggled this season and John Lester... I think that works out perfectly. It's a way to shed a guy that you weren't going to probably have room to keep around anyway. Feel like you got something for him. I hope Lane Thomas can figure it out. I know he's got talent. He showed it at times with the Cardinals when he came up in that first year down the stretch and was hitting but not getting to play a lot. And then when they finally started to put him in there, he then got hit by those pitches and hurt his wrist. Ended his season. Lane Thomas has some talent. I hope the best for him. It just it wasn't going to happen here in St. Louis. And again, like if this happens and in, in down the stretch or in 2022, you see Lane Thomas as the next Cardinal who made it after he left the team. Remember your thoughts about Lane Thomas in 2021 because it was ugly there for a while and you just couldn't justify keeping him in in, in the game, on the roster, etc. So Thomas is gone. Gant's gone. The key for the Cardinals and John Moselak, as they described it on Friday, 
They didn't want to give up and sacrifice from their future to add to the team now. They get two players in Hap and Lester who may add to the team at present. Maybe they don't, but you, you, you can't argue against the fact that they didn't really give up anything to get these guys. And so it's low-hanging fruit. The phrase absolutely applies here. There's no question about it. John Moselak might scoff at the idea, but that's what it is. It's low-hanging fruit. It's guys that you know are veterans, and so you're hoping to catch lightning in a bottle to be able to make something happen. I don't know how long you'll really need either of them for. In theory, you'll have seven men in the rotation, and then you'll have to figure something out. But if J.A. Happ continues to pitch the way he has over the last month, he may not be around for much longer anyway, and he could be DFA'd. You never know. Uh, Lester's the one that I have a little bit more hope for. And Hap too. I mean, it's possible that he could figure it out. Hearing him talk on Zoom seems like a nice guy. Seems like he would love to be able to get it figured out. He's, you know, at some point, though, father time comes for you. He's 38. Is he going to be able to find his form from previous seasons? Like, he was an all-star back in 2018. He's had good years recently. It's just, I'm not holding my breath for it at this point in time. And luckily, the Cardinals may just need a couple of starts from him and and felt like it was just a way to cycle John Gant into the next part of his career, a way to cycle the rotation in the 40-man the way they want it, get Oviedo down to Memphis, as we talked about, where he probably belongs right now, and just see the way things shake out from there. I think John Lester could be somebody that sticks in the rotation, but then again, if you do get Michaelis and Flaherty back and nobody else gets hurt, that's six, and so, and, and honestly, the way LeBlanc's going right now, he's not somebody that I would be taking out of the Cardinals rotation. He's actually looked really good in the majority of his outings. Did so again on Friday night, five and two-thirds innings, six hits allowed, just one earned run, a couple of walks and three strikeouts. His ERA for the season is down to 4.17. Should give you an idea because he came in with an ERA over nine, I want to say it was, so the fact that he's really settled down with St. Louis He's given you everything that you could have hoped for for the Cardinals since joining the rotation, so good for him. Helsley, Gallegos, and Reyes got into the game tonight for the Cardinals, closing things out in a 4-1 to win, or pardon me, a 5-1 to win. The offense for this game was basically a three-run triple by Tommy Eben, just fair down the right field line. A little bit later on, Paul Goldschmidt and Arenado hooking up to score that fifth run of the game. The Cardinals were able to get it done. This is the Twins. It's not a competitive team. They traded away Jose Barrios, uh, was going to be the starter on Friday night against St. Louis. He ends up going to Toronto in a deal that I think was actually really good for the Twins. Talking a little bit more about the deadline at large, that was maybe the most shocking trade of the day. They get Simeon Wood Richardson, a pitcher in the top 100 of MLB prospects, and they get Austin Martin, the number five pick, from the 2020 draft, he's ranked like number 16 among all MLB prospects. And so a good haul for the Twins in Barrios, who is under control for next year. But like from the Cardinals' perspective, that's why they didn't end up in those markets for the the controllable kinds of starters, because that would have been like Gorman and Libertor. That would have been the equivalent of what the Cardinals had to offer if you wanted to get Jose Barrios. So that's the way it ends up shaking out for the Twins. They start some guy named Griffin Jacks today, I think was his name, against the Cardinals. Of course, he ended up pitching better than he should. It seems like every time the Cardinals have a a late scratch against them, the guy that comes in ends up doing a great job. Five innings, one run is all the Cardinals could get off of Jacks, and they really manufactured that first run of the game back in the fourth inning with 
a stolen base of second, sacrifice to third with a, a fly ball deep, and then a sacrifice fly to score the runner. You get Tyler O'Neill running. That's a good way to make sure you're going to score that run. But that's all they get against Jax today. And for that reason, it obviously could have ended up a pretty sour night for the Cardinals without the the big come-through performance from Tommy Edmond. Facing a right-handed pitcher from the left side of the batter's box, he's able to come through with an extra base hit that scores three runs. Andrelton Simmons, by the way, is an incredible shortstop defensively. He's always been one of my favorite players and there was a ball off the bat of Harrison Bader that was like 108 miles per hour. Somehow, Simmons had the reaction time there in that sixth inning to keep the ball on the infield. That would have scored at least one run if it had gotten by him. So you needed that hit by Edmund after the, the, the run did not score on Bader's hit. And fortunately for the Cardinals, Edmund came through. Mike Schultz said he's been taking some better at-bats against right-handed pitching of late. Still likely to continue to do something he's only done uh, in recent games where at times he has actually taken at-bats from the right side against righties. He's a switch hitter who previously in his career had always gone with that lefty-righty matchup. But he, based on the way certain pitchers throw their breaking balls, Edmund is starting to open up to the idea of playing from a little more on the right side when appropriate. Wasn't the case tonight. Was able to do it as a left-hander in the batter's box and the Cardinals certainly benefited from it. Getting the win, getting their record back above 500, 52 and 51. And you look throughout the rest of this division. The Brewers continue to make additions at the deadline. The Reds bolstered up their roster a little bit. The Cubs tore everything down. And so I know we didn't spend a whole lot of time on tonight's game. It was pretty straightforward, though. Cardinals, we told you what they did offensively to get the job done. Should mention Paul Goldsmith's career hit number 1,500 was a milestone that he reached in the game on Friday night. So congratulations to Goldie continuing, and hopefully he'll be able to get to 2,000 as a Cardinal, continuing his uh, strong career numbers as a, a premier first baseman in this league. No question about it. But let's talk about it. we got to talk about the Chicago Cubs. They send Javi Baez. They get him out, out of there. He's going to the Mets. They send Chris Bryant to the West Coast to the Giants. Anthony Rizzo had gone to the Yankees. He homered tonight in his first game with New York. That is that is their core. And they also traded Craig Kimbrell to the White Sox. So just insane to see the Cubs actually go through with it, actually tear it all down completely. They, they did get some decent pieces back. I'm predicting it right now. Nick Madrigal, who came over in the Kimbrell deal from the White Sox, is going to be a pest that annoys the crap out of Cardinals fans for years to come. They're not going to see him this year because he's on the I.L. with a season-ending injury. But Nick Madrigal, next April, remember I said it, he's going to be super annoying for as long as he's with the Cubs. And the fact that the Cubs were able to trade a rental reliever and and get him back, and they also get, I believe, Cody Hewer in the deal, another relief pitcher who's got some gas to him. The fact that they're able to get Madrigal, that's a really good good get, I think, for the Cubs in exchange for Kimbrell, who is on an expiring deal. He's obviously been like the best closer in baseball, but two months of a guy. The Cubs saw the other end of that when they acquired Aroldis Chapman for the 2016 World Series run. It panned out in that they won that World Series with Chapman, but they lost Glaber Torres to do it. It's hard to look back at that and say you regret it, and Torres isn't having the greatest season in 2021 anyway. 
But it's hard to say that you can regret giving up a, a prospect who turns into a stud player when you do, in fact, win that World Series. But it is just one of those things that you can you can look back and say, man, we were so desperate for that specific need in that year that it's crazy we were willing to part with five, six years of a position player who could turn out to be a multi-time all-star. I think with the contact profile that Madrigal possesses, I think he could end up being that kind of player for the Cubs, definitely part of their next core moving forward. But boy, oh boy, if the Cardinals don't beat the tar out of the Cubs in their remaining matchups, I there's no excuse not to because they've got literally nobody left. I think Patrick Wisdom maybe is their second best player. Wilson Contreras remained. He somehow didn't get moved at the deadline. I don't know how he's feeling about being the only guy left. It's like him and Jake Arrieta because the Cubs brought Arietta back. I guess Jason Hayward is still there in Chicago. But not a whole lot to write home about. Cardinals still get a number of games with the Cubs the remainder of the season. Got to find a way to beat up on them if you want to make a run for the postseason because the Brewers definitely beefed up as well at the trade deadline. And, so, and really ahead of the trade deadline, the Brewers have been making moves really all season long. Dating back to when they got Willie Adamas, they they pick up Daniel Norris and John Curtis in some deals on deadline day. Norris, I believe, could be somebody that helps them as a reliever. I don't know about him as a starter so much anymore, but they also got Eduardo Escobar within the last couple of days. And so that's a team who they haven't been afraid all year to set the market, whereas the Cardinals, they're pretty reactionary. They want to wait and make sure they're not overpaying for anything. I get it. I understand that the Cardinals did not want to to pay the big prices that would have been required for some more meaningful additions. John Mozeliak said when they came in this morning into the office for deadline day, they had a move they expected would get done for a more premier name, but ultimately it fell through and they weren't willing to meet the asking prices. Mozeliak said basically their top five prospects were untouchable at this deadline they weren't willing to move them. And when you when you think about that, okay, who are their top five? Who are the names we're talking about? Probably Gorman Libertor right off the top. And then you can add Jordan Walker into that as well with the hot start that he's had to his professional career this season. Beyond that, is it Mason Wynn? Is it Yvonne Herrera? Is it, you know, there's Zach Thompson potentially, but he's really struggled with Memphis so far this season, the former first-round pick out of Kentucky. So those are the kinds of names that I think the Cardinals were unwilling to trade. And when you look, I mean, maybe Berrios was a guy they were in on. I don't know. That would probably surprise me given just how clearly they weren't going to be close to meeting that asking price, the one that he ultimately fetched from the Blue Jays. But I I just don't know exactly who the Cardinals were in on. They were close on somebody, and it wasn't a position player, according to Mosellock, because everybody was thinking, what about Trevor Story? But he said it wasn't a position player. They were pretty intent upon getting pitching at this deadline. They weren't close on anybody on the position player side. And so maybe Kyle Gibson, and that just kind of fell through after he eventually went to the Phillies along with Ian Kennedy. So who's to say, but ultimately the Cardinals, they they make some moves at the deadline. Is it better than nothing, perhaps? Does it set up the future for Oviedo a little bit better now that they can stop running him out there? and allow him to develop at a more normal pace in, in the minors. I think that's maybe one of the biggest takeaways of this day. But even, I mentioned the Gibson deal. When you look at the fact that they gave up, the Phillies gave up Spencer Howard, who coming into the season was a pretty big-name pitching prospect, got some, some run in 2020, I believe, 
still had some cachets associated with his name, and he ends up going for, yeah, Gibson's under team control for next year, and Ian Kennedy's been a good relief pitcher, but it just seems crazy to me that some of these names that were flying around in terms of prospects, it's like, have these guys lost their shine? Yeah, Spencer Howard's had some injuries, and so that makes a little bit of sense. But some of these other names, that, that like Austin Martin, I could not believe that that guy went. And those are the kinds of names that I've been saying the Cardinals should acquire. Like Gibson, we talked about. I wasn't super thrilled with the idea, but I said you could live with it for sure if that ended up being the addition. It wasn't, obviously, because the Cardinals, I mean, Spencer Howard, that might be a Zach Thompson, or that might have even been a Libertor, the expectation if the Cardinals were going to eat that ask. But Barrios was the other name that I thought would have been good. Clearly, the price on him was too high. I don't think any Cardinals fan in their right mind would have said, yeah, Gorman Libertor for Barrios is a good deal. The Cardinals were not going to do it, plain and simple. But then another name like Herman Marquez, another guy that I thought would have made a lot of sense, he didn't get moved, though. So it's difficult to judge whether maybe the Cardinals were in on him and that's the deal that fell apart or if maybe the Rockies were just being a little bit unreasonable with their ask. And that's why they didn't trade Marquez, and they also didn't trade Trevor Story. Trevor Story's got to be pissed with the idea that he's still in Denver for the next couple of months. He probably thought he was a shoe-in to go to a contender, and it just didn't happen. And, and he was scratched from the lineup today, and then I saw a screenshot of him in the dugout. Like He, he was apparently distraught about the way the deadline played out for him. So he'll get his way out of Denver, but it's going to take until the offseason when he can do so as a free agent. But a crazy deadline day across Major League Baseball. I don't know that the Cardinals are in a heck of a lot better of a position than when they started this day on Friday morning, but they they at least did make the moves that were presented to them. I think sometimes there's an expectation when the Cardinals do something, Moselak in the front office, they say, well, I mean, you know, what did, what else did you want from us? This wasn't enough for you. But, like, sometimes, yeah, it wasn't enough. Like, he, there were more moves to make, and you have to be a little bit more willing, I think, to wiggle in the market than the Cardinals often are. But at the same time, I think there's an, enough fans, too, that would, would agree with this. You're a 500 team coming into the trade deadline. Maybe it's not a good idea to give up a whole lot and mortgage the future for the betterment of the present. If those multi-year controllable assets weren't becoming available at the anticipated or the hopeful costs that the Cardinals maybe had in mind. It's understandable that they didn't jump into those waters. I think they probably could have gotten something done for Trevor Story, but evidently there were multiple teams that at least checked in on him, and the Rockies are convinced that the offers they received, they weren't much better than the idea of getting Trevor Story through the end of the year, getting to slap the qualifying offer on him, and getting the draft pick compensation in the future draft. I just... I don't see how that's possible, but Trevor Story has struggled this year. He's got like an 84 OPS plus, which which is below average, not very good. And he's been bad defensively. And so for me, I think that's just the mental bog weighing down on him. The fact that he's playing in the situation and it's just a no win situation where he knows he's leaving at the end of the year, doesn't want to sign an extension to losing franchise right now. That's going nowhere fast. I think he thought he was going to be somewhere else, and, and that might have played into the reason that he's played so poorly compared to his career averages this year. But unfortunately, that's where he's going to end up, and so we'll have plenty of time to talk about whether he's an option for the Cardinals in the offseason or Corey Seager or some of these other guys that are that are going to hit free agency as middle infielders. Lots to talk about coming down the pipe. But for right now, it's a Cardinals team that sits a game above five hundred. 
They're battling with the Brewers, potentially. They're battling with the Reds to try to get to the Brewers, first and foremost. And we'll see if they're able to do it. I, I don't know that you can look at this Cardinals team right now knowing what they're going to be the rest of the year because everybody that's on this roster, those are the guys they have. There are no more trades. There is no August waiver deadline anymore. This is the team they've got. I don't know if it inspires enough confidence to say, yeah, they can track down the Brewers from this far behind. But I do think with the schedule, the way it sets up, the Cardinals can play some winning baseball over the next two months and they can try to make a run out of this thing. And so we'll see if they do. Follow along at B-Shape Daily. We're going to be all over it the rest of the Cardinals season. Make sure to subscribe if you haven't done so already. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Google Podcasts are the three spots that I recommend. You could head to anchor.fm slash bshafer12 and click on more platforms to find where else you can listen to the show. Appreciate you guys. As always, we're going to wrap things up here for this edition of B-Shape Daily. And we'll talk to you next time on the podcast. Peace.